If you have Bibles, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians. We're continuing our series in 1 Corinthians this morning, uh, specifically chapter 12. Uh, if you're using one of those black hardcover Bibles that Annie mentioned, that's page 959. When we planned um, this sermon series out back in the early summer, we weren't sure whether or not this facility was going to become a reality. Uh, and we definitely weren't sure where we would be in this sermon series if and when we did have our first worship service here. But in the providence of God, uh, we find ourselves beginning a new chapter in the life of our church as we look at the Apostle Paul's teachings on spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 12. And here's why I'm really grateful for that. Because for all of the benefits that this space, we, we hope, brings, an unintentional byproduct of having our own church home is that it can convey a false sense of arrival. It can convey a false sense of arrival. We can start to think that we have made it or arrived as a church because we have our own place. So I'm thrilled about the the presence and the permanence that this space will convey, not only to all of us, but also to the surrounding neighborhoods and region. It's a good thing that we have our own space. We want to be present. We want to be here for the long haul in this region. But... This is not, in any sense of the word, an arrival for Liberty Church. If anything, this is just another leg on the journey that God has had us on for a number of years now, and we pray has us on for years and years and years to come. So as we learn from God's word this morning, I just want to caution us against having this sense of arrival. The more that we feel like we have arrived, the more we feel settled in that sense, the less inclined we're going to be to seek out opportunities to practice something that's often referred to as the priesthood of believers. Uh, The priesthood of believers means that the work of ministry, uh, sharing the good news of the gospel, helping one another grow in Christ-likeness, loving one another, serving one another, that's never meant to be the work of a few paid people like pastors or church staff. It's not meant to just be for leaders in the church, be they elders, deacons, ministry leaders. Instead, Each of us, each of you, is called to the work of ministry. And each of us is given specific opportunities, both uh, inside and outside the church, to pursue that. This is a, a lot more obvious in the early years of a church plant because it's painfully obvious to everybody that we have not yet arrived and that there's work to do, right? As much as I'm glad that we're done with that season, there's something that's beautiful about having to set up and tear down your chair every single week. Uh, It's really a weekly rhythm. It's a liturgy, if you'll indulge me with that word. It's a liturgy of remembering that Jesus is still building his church, that the work is not done, and that we shouldn't get too comfortable because this place is not our home. So instead of making you set up and tear down your church anymore, your chair anymore, I won't make you do that every week, but we, we are going to talk about, from 1 Corinthians 12, this idea of spiritual gifts, that everyone who is a, f- a follower of Jesus Christ is empowered by the Holy Spirit with gifts that are meant to serve the good of others. From where I sit, we've done a lot in the, on this front. We're, we're, we're on a good trajectory of growing together and using our spiritual gifts with one another, but there's also a lot more for us to do, and I hope that this facility aids us in using our spiritual gifts to serve one another and to serve this region. And so with that, I'm going to invite you to follow along with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm going to read the whole chapter. Um, So listen now with open ears to this book that we love. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. 
You know that when you were pagans and were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in, for in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of the one Spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would, the sense of, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. This is God's word. Pray with me. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would pour out upon us wisdom and understanding, that being taught by you in Scripture, our hearts and minds may be open to receive all that leads to life and holiness. We pray this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. So at this point in the letter, uh, Paul has been talking about different matters of worship. And for Paul, worship is not just about the gathering of the people of God, although that's an important piece of it. For Paul, worship is a lifestyle. He writes in another letter in the book of Romans that, we present our whole selves to God as a living sacrifice. That's our spiritual act of worship. So here he transitions in chapters 12 through 14 of 1 Corinthians to address matters of spiritual gifts. 
Chapter 12 is about unity and diversity of gifts. Chapter 14, which we'll get to in a couple weeks, talks about using certain kinds of spiritual gifts when the church is gathered together. And then sandwiched in between them is chapter 13, which really gives us the foundation and really the the operating principle for the use of all of our gifts, whatever they might be, namely love. And we'll talk about that next week. What we see here in chapter 12 is that Paul is not just instructing the church, he's actually correcting them. The Corinthians are prone to make some of the same kinds of mistakes that you and I are prone to make today. And so Paul is going to set the record straight on spiritual gifts. So we're going to consider this in three pieces. That spiritual gifts are gifts, not rewards. That spiritual gifts cultivate unity, not uniformity. And that spiritual gifts celebrate diversity, not division. So first, spiritual gifts are gifts and not rewards. So much of our perspective in life is shaped by what we view as a gift versus what we view as a reward, right? If this is something that I have earned, that I have worked hard to receive, that's going to affect the way that I think about how I'm using that, right? And even the way that the word gift is used in our culture blurs this line in what I think is an unhelpful way. So we're less than two months out from Christmas. At Christmas, um, people give and, exchange, uh, give and receive gifts, But what are you taught about gifts, at least in many homes, from a young age? You're taught that Santa brings gifts to the nice kids, but that if you're naughty, you don't get those gifts, you get coal instead. Which actually means it's not really a Christmas gift, it's really like a Christmas reward. Right? You've done something to earn or to influence what it is that you receive. I was talking with a friend a couple weeks ago who um, was lamenting the broken relationship that currently exists between him and his daughter had some really rocky years in his life, some, some sin on his part. So he's been distant and estranged from her for a number of, of years. But in recent months, he really has pursued repentance, pursued humility, trying to reconcile that. But so far, it has not brought about the forgiveness, the reconciliation, the healing that he is really longing to see. And so understandably for him, uh, it's frustrating, it's discouraging, and and at times it's even completely hopeless. As I was listening to him and lamenting with him, I listened just for a long time and just kind of heard where he was at in that. Uh, After a while, I felt prompted to just ask him a question. And the question was this, what do you deserve? What do you deserve? And that is a simple question, but it it has massive implications. Because what we uncovered as we just continued to to talk was that he believed if he repented enough, if he worked hard enough to correct the mistakes that he has made in his past, that he would be rewarded with a healed and a reconciled relationship. But how different is that view than if he were to experience every small ounce of reconciliation, every small movement in their relationship toward each other, if he were to experience every piece of that as a miraculous gift of the grace of God? If it's a reward, then the only possible outcome is that you're going to be proud and self-reliant if it works, and you're going to be despairing and hopeless if it doesn't. But if it's a gift, then you might actually be able to persevere with patience and steadfastness for the long haul, even in those moments that feel completely hopeless. Now, this same kind of distinction between gift and reward has massive effects on our understanding of spiritual gifts. What do you and I deserve? 
If we look at life, if we look at, at these gifts as something that we're entitled to, that's going to impact every relationship, every circumstance, every opportunity. But if life is a gift, if everything else is a gift, that's going to change both the way we receive it and then the way that we offer it to others. What Paul emphasizes here in these opening verses is that these are spiritual gifts, right? Not spiritual rewards, not spiritual entitlements, but truly gifts. Paul's saying here, we have them because the Holy Spirit freely gives them. Just as our salvation is a gift of God's grace, it's not a reward to be earned by our hard work and our effort, so too are these gifts. And as we are united with Christ, as we confess that Jesus is Lord— which would be a far more radical thing to say in the first century where that would make you liable to sedition and treason against the Roman Empire. Right? As we confess genuinely that Jesus is Lord, we receive these gifts. So verse 7 here offers a good shorthand definition. What are spiritual gifts? Verse 7, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Spiritual gift is something that every Christian is given. It's a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. It's a supernaturally empowered gifting, and it's meant to be used for the good of others. Paul goes in here and lists several, but it's not meant to be an exhaustive list. The important things that we really need to see from these opening verses is that everyone who genuinely confesses that Jesus is Lord, they are empowered by the Holy Spirit to do so. And everyone that's empowered by the Holy Spirit is also given spiritual gifts. Not identical gifts, not in the same measure, but really a diversity of gifts that flow from unity of one spirit and are for unity in the church. So we'll talk more about unity and diversity of gifts here in just a second, but it's really important that we really establish this clearly as our starting point. Because if these are gifts, then it means that they must be received. And the reality is that for many of us, and I certainly include myself in this, we are not good at receiving. We're not good at receiving. Theologically, I believe that salvation is totally and completely a gift of God's grace, right? Through the death and resurrection of Jesus, I can't do a thing to earn that. But functionally, however, I can quickly find myself striving to live well, to work hard and then work harder in order to earn favor from God. And that means when I'm doing that, that I am a reluctant recipient of God's grace. And then the difficult reality is reluctant recipients become reluctant offerers. Reluctant recipients become selfish offerers. Now, if my paradigm, if our paradigm, if our view of God is, is functionally infused with this idea about, that it's about rewards and entitlements— if I'm working hard for what I have, then I'm going to be protective, I'm going to be miserly, I'm going to be calculated with how I use what I have. But if it is truly a gift, if I believe deeply this is something that I don't deserve, but it's been given to me, then to that extent, I'm going to offer it selflessly, generously, liberally, even, even wastefully. Jesus tells this parable of these two sons, and the younger son goes away. There's a wasteful extravagance on the part of the father gives away a third of what he owns to watch his son walk down the road and reject him. And then he gives even more to that son to welcome him back in. It's wasteful, but it's beautiful. Matthew chapter 10, Jesus sends out his 12 to proclaim the kingdom of God. And as he sends them, he says this. He says, freely you have been given, so freely give. 
right? Reluctant recipients become reluctant and selfish offers. But those who know they have been given freely are those who freely give. And I say that because before I ever ask you to use and offer your spiritual gifts for the good of others, I want to call us all to receive this grace from the hand of God, right? Recognize, rejoice in the grace that you have been given. And then as you have been freely given, then freely give. So now with that as our foundation, let's talk about these two errors that we're prone to make when it comes to our understanding and practice of spiritual gifts. The first one is that we're likely to aim for uniformity rather than unity. But we're actually called to cultivate unity, not uniformity. So spiritual gifts, secondly, are for unity, not uniformity. Verse 14 says this, For the body does not consist of one member, but many. This is probably a familiar metaphor for many of you. This picture of a body with many different parts, it was a common cultural metaphor in Paul's day. It continues to be a real helpful picture for us. None of us, and maybe you felt this as we read it earlier, none of us want a body that consists completely of feet or hands or eyes or ears. That kind of uniformity would be very odd. It would also be really debilitating. And the same thing is true for the church, which is the body of Christ. Uniformity in the church is debilitating. I don't know if you've ever stopped to consider all that the church of Jesus Christ is called to do and be in the world, but it's a lot. There's a scholar named Christopher Wright who wrote a great book called The Mission of God's People, and his chapter titles, just a few of his chapter titles, give us a pretty good sampling. The church is called to do and be. People who know the story that they're part of, people who care for creation, people who are a blessing to the nations, people who represent God to the world, people who attract others to God, people who proclaim the gospel of Christ, people who send and are sent, people who live and work in the public square, people who praise and pray. He talks about justice and mercy and evangelism and discipleship and all these things that we are called to do and be as the church. There is no way that any one individual has the ability to pursue and embody all of those things well. Though we're going to be called to obedience in all of those different areas, God's design for his church is that these callings are carried out through the diverse unity of his people. One of our elders here, uh, David White, he was up here earlier this morning, he has often said to me and others in this room this phrase that's really memorable to me, I'm glad you're not me. I'm glad you're not me. And I think that captures really well what Paul is saying here. It's recognizing that you're not like me, but actually that's a really good thing. You know, praise God that you're not like me because we will be far more likely to be faithful to the callings God has given us as a church if we're not the same as each other. If we all had the same gifts, if we were uniform in the way that we had the same gifts and expressed the gifts the same way, we'd be far less likely to actually fulfill what we're being called to, to do in the world. So in line with this, one of the things that I'm really excited that I get to announce this morning is our first ever deacon candidates for Liberty Church. In Acts chapter 6, uh, the apostles, they're leading in these early days of the church. They wisely recognize that they can't possibly care for the people, the men and women in the church, as holistically and comprehensively as they'd like to. So they set apart others to serve in this other leadership role called deacon. And whereas the primary work and ministry of an elder in Jesus' church is overseeing the ministry of the word, overseeing the ministry of the sacraments, overseeing prayer, Deacons are tasked with helping the church use its resources, be they time, talents, material goods, 
finances, all of those kinds of things, in the best way possible for God's glory and for the good of others. And spiritual gifting has a huge part of this distinction in this, these different roles and responsibilities. Both elders and deacons, we'll read in places like 1 Timothy 3, Titus chapters 1 and 2, both are called to embody exemplary character and are called to be faithful followers of Jesus. But the makeup of elders and deacons is different. Elders have to be gifted at shepherding, at caring for the souls of men and women. Elders must be able to teach from the word of God. Deacons are gifted in service and mercy and meeting practical and tangible needs. So this is a lot better, as I hope you're hearing and feeling too, it's a lot better than uniformity, right? It's a, it's a beautifully diverse unity for the sake of serving the church well. And so we've asked uh, three people, we're going to name three people as deacon candidates this morning. Uh, Greg Lowe, Jen Lowe, and Dan Kern uh, are now uh, officially deacon candidates for Liberty Church. Uh, As elders, myself, the two other elders here, we believe uh, that these three individuals are called, uh, qualified, and gifted to serve in this capacity. Uh, And over these past six months, we've invited them into a deacon in training process. As we're now nearing the end of that, um, our recommendation and our intent is to commission them as deacons on Sunday, December 11th, a little more than than a month from today during the worship service that morning. Uh, as part of our deacon uh, process, our commissioning process, we announce them as candidates about a month or so before that actually happens. Um, as Greg and Jen and Dan are going to be serving in this capacity in our church, it's important that they, that they enter this role uh, with trust and with respect from all of us as the church. So it's going to be important for uh, myself and the other elders to know if you think there's some obstacle to doing that or if you think for some reason or another that, that any of these people should not serve as a deacon. Now, just to be clear on that, um, that's not an invitation for you to, like, air your personal grievances, okay? If, like, Dan forgot to wave hi to you in the parking lot today, I would encourage you to take that up with, with Dan and pursue reconciliation and healing there uh, where it's needed. Um, this is more the kind of thing that speaks to their character, their gifting, their ability to serve in that capacity, And if you need to ask questions, if you need to express concerns, just would invite you to do that. This would be the time to do that uh, between now and and December 11th. Let me say this before I move on. Um, I am hugely encouraged to have Greg and Jen and Dan serving as deacons um, for our church. Uh, I've experienced this from them personally. I know many of you have experienced from them personally. They are faithful servants. They are faithful servants of this church, Uh, They are faithful servants far beyond the walls of this church. And as deacons, they're going to be tasked not with doing all of the work of ministry. They're going to be tasked with helping to cultivate a deeper and deeper culture of service and mercy among all of us as this church. We want to be a church where we care for one another and we care for people in this region well. We want to meet tangible needs among us and among others well. We want to get better and better at deploying the resources that God has entrusted to us, whether they be time or gifts, spiritual gifts or finances, to serve other people. So lest we think that spiritual gifting is only about leadership roles, this same concept is going to apply to all of us in the body of Christ. And recognizing this broad scope of what the church is called to do and be, we become increasingly aware of how much we need each other. And that helps us pursue unity rather than uniformity. Third, lastly, 
Spiritual gifts celebrate diversity, not division. So if one error that we're prone to make here is to pursue uniformity rather than unity, the other one is that we allow spiritual gifts to divide us rather than celebrating the diversity of God's varied gifts. Division can come through a couple different avenues. It can come through a superiority complex. It can also come through an inferiority complex. And we get a sampling of both of those in this text. Using this metaphor of different members of the body of Christ, some seem to be lamenting that they're not a more honorable part. Others who appear to be in a position of greater honor have a superiority complex. Right? The head saying to the feet, I have no need of you. And this mentality surfaces to some extent in every local church. Every local church I've ever been a part of, probably every local church you've been a part of if you've been part of one prior to this, this surfaces to some extent everywhere. Every denomination has this. Every tribe, every, every group of Christians that kind of emphasize certain things and de-emphasize others, this surfaces everywhere. So this will be a, a generalization, but I think in our tribe, we tend to elevate certain gifts like wisdom, knowledge, teaching, and discernment. But we'd be more likely to undervalue other gifts like service, like intercession or prayer, hospitality, craftsmanship, mercy. Right? The temptation will probably be for us in this room, and not necessarily, but I think generally speaking, the temptation will be to feel a superiority complex if you possess one of those gifts like wisdom or teaching or discernment and to feel an inferiority complex if you have one of the other gifts. So how do we enjoy this diversity of gifts without experiencing division? Well, we see that not only are there varied gifts, but there's also a varied type of honor that is given to different gifts. We are superficial people. Can we be honest about that? We're superficial. So we're always likely to honor the most visible gifts, the gifts that are most up front and center. Paul, alluding to internal organs, alluding to sexual organs, says, God has so designed the body that the ones that we tend to think are less honorable, we actually bestow greater honor on. So here's a way to think about it. In a, in a kind of paradoxical way, it's actually really honoring to my internal organs that I take them for granted 99.9% of the time. Right? It means that they are reliable. It means that they are dependable. And until this minute, I've never publicly or verbally paid honor to my kidney, for example. But every single minute that I'm not bedridden for kidney failure, every single minute I get to use other gifts like teaching, that is a minute that honors the indispensable work that my kidneys do. Right? A, a good friend of mine who's my age and who has had three kidney transplants in the last 20 years, ask him when he sits in dialysis hours every single week, ask him if there aren't moments where he would trade his sense of smell or his sense of hearing or maybe even other more extreme things for a kidney that functioned the way that it was supposed to. And I say all that to make the same point that Paul does here. If we can see the, the different kinds of honor that God has given to each member in the body of Christ, if we can believe that not only does the place that I hold in the body of Christ have honor, but so does yours and yours and yours, then there will be no division. 
Instead, we will care for each other, as Paul says. We will suffer together. When one member suffers, we will all suffer. When one member is honored, we will all truly feel a part of that because we are and we'll rejoice together. So I want you to hear this this morning, church. You don't have to distinguish yourself, prove yourself, jockey for position, or make a name for yourself in this church. And that is because Jesus has already given you a place in this church. He's already given you gifts, and those gifts are valuable, and those gifts have worth, and those gifts have honor bestowed upon them. So you need not assert it or prove it. And that means that you are free to actually use it, to actually offer the gifts that you have, and to celebrate this diversity of gifts without division. In his commentary on the book of Romans, famous reformer John Calvin said this, There is a bond of fellowship when no one has sufficient for himself, but is forced to borrow from others. I admit, therefore, that the fellowship of the godly exists only when each one is content with his own measure and imparts to his brethren the gifts which he has received and in turn allows himself to be assisted by the gifts of others. That is my hope for us at Liberty Church, that we would grow this deep bond of fellowship with one another as each of us receives and relies upon the gifts that God has given to other people that, that I don't have that you don't have, just as they receive and rely upon the gifts that God has given each of us. So if you feel undervalued in your gifts, then as you are pursuing this freedom to offer them without needing to prove anything, I just want to invite you to become more known in this community, in this church. One way to miss here, when we talk about spiritual gifts, we talk about the opportunity to use them for, uh, for the sake of caring for one another. One way to miss is to come arrogantly and presumptuously. It's to come really strong. It's to demand a place to use your gifts, and it's to demand a place to use them right now. And underneath that, almost certainly, is going to be this view of, the, of, of these not being gifts, but being rewards or being entitlements. If that's you, if you find yourself wrestling with that, my encouragement would be actually go and hear Jesus' instruction When he teaches his disciples, he tells this story about a wedding banquet. And he says, when you come and you're invited to a wedding banquet, don't sit at the head of the table and then be asked to move down. Instead, come, sit at the end of the table, and wait to be invited up. That's one way to miss. The other way to miss is to hide in the shadows. The other way to miss is to withhold, to not even, to use Jesus' imagery, to not even sit at the table at all isolating yourself from community where your gifts are actually discovered and where they can be employed. And what I want to say to you, if that's you, is that you have valuable gifts that we need in this church and that this region needs beyond our church walls. And so what I would say to you is stop hiding and calling that humility. Stop hiding and calling that humility. It's actually arrogant, not humble, to rob the world of the gifts that God has given you that are meant for the common good. And depending on who you are, depending on how long you have been part of this church, there's a variety of places you might find yourself in this. Uh, Perhaps you're here, the leaders of the church don't, don't know you really well at this point. I would say to you, just become relationally connected here. Become more known. 
become part of this church in a more meaningful way. Maybe we know you some, but we don't know your gifts. We don't know you at that level yet. I would say to you, help us get to know you in that particular way. Initiate a conversation with your home group leader, if you're in a home group, or with myself, or with someone who's in a leadership position here at this church. Maybe we do know you, and we know at least some of your gifts, but we haven't been able to find a great place to mobilize you in those yet. What I would say to you is, be patient with us, and keep seeking out ways to serve and love others, even if that's not your sweet spot. Even if you've got another place that you think would actually be a better fit. Keep serving and be patient. Maybe we do know your gifts, and maybe actually right now you are in the middle of your sweet spot, and it's a gift to the church, and you truly feel used by God. What I would say to you, that's actually the design and the intent of God, so rejoice in that. That's a beautiful thing if that's you. Let's not uh, take that for granted. Rejoice in that if you find yourself in that place. Maybe we do know your gifts. Maybe you've been in your sweet spot, but it's been a tough season in your life, and you don't have the capacity or margin to actually serve in that way anymore, and you need a break. And what I want to say to you is that's completely valid. And there are times when that is necessary and right and good. I would also encourage you to say that's not a place to remain forever. Take those breaks when you need them, but don't stay there forever. If, if God's Spirit has empowered us with these gifts, then the only way to honor Him, to honor those gifts that He's given us, is to put them into practice. And none of these, and many of you know this, none of these are static states. This is an ever-changing dynamic environment. And so sometimes you're going to get frustrated because you feel like your gifts aren't being used. And then maybe you'll find your sweet spot and have a great season of serving right there. And then maybe you'll feel overwhelmed and hope someone else steps in to take over for you. All that to say, it is very easy to miss each other on this. And it is very easy to become divided and experience division over this. So I invite you to this. This needs to be a dialogue. It needs to be a dialogue that we carry out with each other with grace and love and humility. All right, that, that is my commitment to pursue with you as your pastor. And I would ask and implore each of you to make that same kind of commitment to one another. As Paul says in verse 27, you, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it so we can celebrate this diversity without division. And as I close, let me say this. In this new chapter, this new season of life for our church, may we be people who increasingly use our spiritual gifts for the common good. And in the moments that you're tempted to feel as though that we've arrived as a church and therefore this is probably a good time for you to step back or withhold or kind of hide out in the shadows, may you remember the grace of God which has been freely given to you. That is our salvation. And not only that, it is the source of our spiritual gifts. So as we have been freely given, may we, with unity and diversity, freely give for the good of one another. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. God, we know that you have given us good gifts. You are a father who gives good gifts to his children. And some of those gifts are these these manifestations of your Holy Spirit meant for the common good. We pray that you would help us know what those are, that you would give us opportunities and, and even help us see the opportunities that we already have to use those for the good of others. We confess 
in many ways, we are bad receivers. We don't like that your grace is free. We want to earn it and work for it. And that, makes, that, that hinders us, that chokes us from being able to freely offer the gifts that you have given. So may we receive from your hand the good gift of your grace so that we might freely give of our gifts even more generously and sacrificially than we do right now. And as we come to this table and we see the picture of what it looks like to freely give, I pray we'd be renewed in your grace, that we would see, Jesus, you did not withhold. You offered your body and your blood freely for us, that we might be united with you, that we might be forgiven of our sin, that we might experience new life. So meet us as we come, and we pray this in your name. Amen.